Romans chapter 15, verse 1. He says, we who are strong, everyone say strong. Thank you. I didn't, I was worried that somebody was going to say strong. We who are strong. We'll have to do that over again, right? We who are strong must be considerate of those who are, you can use your wimpy voice here, sensitive about things like this. This being, uh, in, in chapter 14, he talked about uh, us being offended over what some people eat or what day they worship on, what day is holy. Simple things, ridiculous things, right? We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. And one of the things that I don't like about the New Living Translation here, which is very much a side note, is they made this two sentences and it desperately needs to be one sentence. So whenever you read it, just take the period and the capital W out of we, okay? So we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about these things, about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. Paul appeals to we who are strong. We who are strong. This is not the obligation of those who are weak or new or sensitive in their faith. Whenever I talk about people who are sensitive in their faith, don't look around because you'll offend them. Were you looking at me when you said sensitive? Yes, actually, I am. I don't, yeah, case in point. Here at the end of Paul's letter, he is not speaking to the immature believer. He is speaking to the mature believer, <clears throat> which I think is genius because all of us want to be in the mature group, Right? Shake your head yes. Please say yes. No, Brent, I would like to just be in the immature group. I'm sensitive about a lot of things. Why do you wear your shirt untucked on Sunday morning? I'm not sure you're saved. <laughs> I'm having a microphone problem because of it, because I can't touch. Anyways, it's a whole other story. Paul is not speaking to the immature believer. He's speaking to the mature believer. The mature believer, those whose faith is firmly rooted in the work of the Lord Jesus, not in their own works. We, we went through that earlier. He's speaking to the mature believer, those who have died to themselves, been resurrected in Jesus, and have nothing to lose, and eternity with God to gain. Paul's challenge here is to those who, by God's grace, are strong enough to have faith in God for no matter what comes. I like how quiet you got all of a sudden. As we go along in our Christian life, as we grow, nah, let's take the word grow out. As we go along in our Christian life, some of us get more easily agitated with others' spiritual immaturity. Please don't look around, eyes forward. Right? Why are they still carrying that gigantic Bible? Whatever. And some of us get more easily considerate about others' immaturity. Hmm. Paul implores us, I like that word, to be considerate of other believers, 
He implores us to be considerate of other believers, not be agitated with other believers. Amen, bro. That's good preaching. It's right from the text. Mm -hmm. Paul implores us to be considerate of other believers, not agitated, not easily offended by other believers, not quick to condemn other believers, but to be considerate of other believers. This is Paul's subtle call to spiritual maturity. In the, con in the context of Romans 14, those who are strong in faith are not sensitive about who eats what, or what day we worship on, those strong in faith are not offended over non-salvific issues. Everyone say salvific. See, last week somebody thought that I made up that word, and that's not true. I did not make up that word. That's a real word. It means that it has to do with things pertaining to salvation, right? Salvation. So those strong in faith are not offended over non-salvific issues. Those strong in faith can look past the outward and the non-spiritual issues so they can be, are you okay? So that they can be loving and honoring to the person of weaker faith. Romans 12, I think it was 10 that I just read a while ago. Are you with me? If you can't look past the outer non-spiritual things that irritate you, you're going to have a hard time being loving and honoring to that person. And that's the mature thing to do, the spiritual mature thing to do. Being considerate of others is hard. Being considerate requires, it requires spiritual maturity. It just reminds me of, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. We've done Financial Peace University, uh, you know, uh, Ramsey. I get the Ramseys mixed up, the chef and the, the financial guy. Um, so Chef Ramsey, he says, no, 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 we don't repeat him on Sunday morning. Uh, Dave Ramsey, he has all these great financial principles, and they're, they really are great. But what I've seen over time is that if you don't have the maturity to apply them, it doesn't matter how many principles you have. You're not, they're, they're useless to you. So we can say love one another, but if you don't have spiritual maturity, you're not going to be able to be considerate of others. Being considerate requires the recognition that Christianity is not about you. It's not about your opinions. It's not even about your desires. But Brent, those people tend to be frustrating. They dress different than we do. They behave different than we do. They use words we don't use. And sometimes they do sinful things. Right. Let me refer you to a story in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. tells the story of Jesus. He's teaching in the temple. Imagine the temple. So picture the story, right? Jesus is teaching in the temple. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Everybody is gathered to do their worship, to go through the religious processes and to acknowledge God. God, he's there in Jerusalem, in the temple. I mean, Jerusalem of all the places of the book of maps. He's in Jerusalem, in the temple. I'm sure that all the temple people were there ooing and aahing as the son of the living God explained the finer points of Old Testament soteriology. That's the study of salvation. 
Two big words in one week. Salvific and soteriology. With great pomp and condemnation, the religious scribes and Pharisees brought a woman before Jesus and the rest of the crowd that had gathered there. And they said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, because I might be ADDHDDDD, my mind wanders as I read scripture. And so I'm thinking, what are these guys doing? Are they like running around peeping in people's windows? They're just, they're just looking for sinners. Did my soap this morning, got dressed, and I'm out looking for sinners. Looking for somebody who's doing something wrong. You did that wrong. I mean, that's nothing like church people today. They go on to say, this woman has been caught in the very act of, of adultery. They say, the law of Moses says, so they got their big scroll out under their arm. The law of Moses says, Jesus, to stone her to death. What do you say, Jesus? You remember the story. After doodling in the dirt with his finger... Because there's all this speculation about what he wrote, right? I think he was just drawing pictures. I, who cares? He says, all right, as though he agrees with them. And then he says, let the person, let the, let the scribe, let the religious leader, let the person who has never sinned throw the first stone. Just put her, over, put her right out there in the middle of the crowd. You go ahead and stone her. But let the person who has no sin throw the first stone, and then we'll all follow after. The religious people sought condemnation, condemner of her sin, and judgment. We want to condemn her of her sin, and then we want to stone her to death for what horrible person she is. Jesus, he seeks righteousness. Jesus knew because he knew Romans before Romans was written, so he knew. The law of Moses fails to bring righteousness. We've studied this over and over. This is why we have the cross and why we have Christ and why he had to die for our sins, because the law of Moses does not bring righteousness. Are you with me? The law of Moses does not bring righteousness. Being considerate is what people of faith in the grace of God do. When we put our faith in God's grace to save people, then we don't put our faith in the law of Moses. Do you see the difference there? Some of you are like, hmm, there's a twist in this story. Evidently, this woman was broken. Her circumstances must have been terrible for her to be in this situation. Condemnation and rejection by the temple people was not going to bring her to a right relationship with God. I feel the need to pause and absorb for a second. Condemnation and rejection by the temple people was not going to bring the adulterous woman to a right relationship with her. Stoning her was not going to bring her to a right relationship either, by the way. Jesus doesn't excuse her sin, because some of you are already thinking down the road, like, oh, we're just, he's just letting the sin go. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't excuse her sin, because later in the story, he tells her, go and sin no more. Sin's still a problem. 
The Pharisees condemned her to death using God's law. Well, Brent, we would never do that. Oh, we do. We do. Jesus was considerate of her, offering her genuine love and honor. Watch this. That she did not deserve. Jesus was considerate of her, offering her love and honor that she did not deserve. She was a sinful person, the son of the living God. Here he is in Jerusalem in the temple. He is there teaching. He is there in his holiness. He is there in his righteousness. And he kindly admonishes her to go on with life, sin no more. Let this moment of grace remind you that there is peace and there is joy and that there is hope. But if we, ever never, if we never give that moment of grace, it's not there to remind them down the road. <clears throat> you understand what, what, what's happening here? So why is it that the church, the churchgoers, the temple people, are too often on the condemning side of the story? There's a little bit of an acid test here. <clears throat> Paul, uh, the second sentence, which is a mistake, by the way, he says, we must not just please ourselves. We must not just please ourselves. It makes us feel good about ourselves to condemn others. I'm sorry that I am so in touch with my condemning side, but I think that most of... Why are you guys looking at me like that? Brent condemns people? I do all the... No, sometimes. I'm not always perfect. It makes us feel good about ourselves to condemn others, to look around and be like, I'm doing church better than they are. Yeah, I won't tell you. I'm not going to confess the things that I do that are horrible. There's a little bit of self-gratification when we are able to point out other people's failures. Does that make sense? I'm, maybe I'm one of like 10 people that are like, Sorry. There's a little self-righteousness as we look down on those who are not as mature as we are. I've been doing this all my life. I know how it works. Let me show you how you're a sinner. Let me show you how you're not a very good Christian. This is the very reason <clears throat> this whole looking down, this self-gratification, this is the whole reason that I tend to be anti-denominational. I started to take this out of my notes this morning, and... Um, Nope, I'm just going to keep it. I tend to be anti-denominational. Now, hear me out. When people come from a denomination, I can be nice to them. I will be kind to them. I will love them. I believe that they are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. As an organizational structure, I am against denominations. Here's why. It is self-serving. Listen, listen through the whole thing, okay? <clears throat> it is self-serving to intentionally divide the body of believers over non-essential doctrine. <clears throat> but Brent, then we won't get along. Let me finish. If I can go to church, here, here's your thought, okay? If I can go to church with only people who think like I do, then I don't have to have awkward conversations with people who believe differently than me. I can surround myself with only people 
who think like me. And I think that's very selfish. That's just pleasing yourself. I like how I got quiet. Being considerate of others has nothing to do with what we want or pleasing ourselves. It has everything to do with what God wants and loving and honoring our fellow believers in the body of Christ, regardless of where they worship or what day they worship. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm on number two. Number two, build them up. (laughs) See what page I'm on. Oh, my goodness. Build them up. Romans 15, verse 2. I'm going to read verses 2, 3, and 4, and then we'll go through it a little bit at a time. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. There's the instruction, okay? We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. There's the instruction, and now he's going to kind of break it down. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. I'm waiting for you to think through that. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Read that carefully because that's a little bit confusing. The insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. We'll go through that in a minute. Verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago. Why? To teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. I think that's spectacular. Our example for selfless, considerate, others' sin-bearing living a lot of words in it. Others sin, other people's sin, bearing, living, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Our example for selfless, considerate, other sin-bearing, living, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Did he just say that we should bear the sins of other people like they sin and we should bear their sins? Does it make any sense? Surely that's not what he's saying. Let's see where he goes. We help others do what is right in God's sight. That's an important qualifier. We help people do what is right in God's sight, and we build them up, the scripture says, in the Lord. We invest in the Christ-likeness of others. That makes sense? We build them up. We don't tear them down. We don't tear them down. Paul quotes King David here in verse 3. He says, The insults of those who insult you, O God, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus would bear the insult. Jesus would bear the insult of actions not his own. We help others become Christ-like by being Christ-like ourselves, right? That makes sense. We help others become Christ-like by us being Christ-like ourselves. So wait, immature believers do dumb things and we take their failure on as our own? That's crazy talk. 
Did you see what just happened? Christ's likeness is bearing sins that belong to somebody else. That's what Christ did on the cross. We just celebrated that. Christ did not sin, you sinned. He bore your sins on his cross for you. We come along in Christian living and we're like, why do those people sin? Why do they have to sin? And we push them away and we condemn them of their sins while Jesus is saying, listen, I take on other people's sins. So if we're going to teach Christ's likeness, we begin by offering others the same grace that Christ Jesus has offered us. We bear their sins. Jesus had every reason to separate himself from foolish and sin-filled mankind. Are you okay? Just checking, because I think some of you are thinking, you're trying to think really fast. Jesus had every reason to separate himself from foolish and sin-filled, unholy humanity. Instead, Jesus selflessly sought out a relationship with you so that he could take on your sins, so that he could forgive you of your sins, so that he could take your sins and put the, bear the penalty on his own body. That's incredible. Likewise, you and I should be building up our fellow believers, not tearing them down, not berating them, not abandoning them, but bearing their sin as if it was our own. So it's not condemnation of, oh, you're doing this wrong. It is, hey, this isn't just right. This isn't exactly right. And we already went through, we're all part of the body of Christ in Romans. And so we're all in this together and somebody's not doing this exactly right. We want to help them. We want to build them up. We want to encourage them. In Galatians 6, uh, Paul tells us uh, to bear one another's burdens. We quote this often out of context, by the way. Bear one another's burdens, you know, like, like if you're mowing your lawn, I'll come over and help you mow your lawn. Nope, that's not what he's talking about there. Romans 6. However, I might mow my lawn this afternoon, and if you're free, uh, come over and bear my burden. No, I'm kidding. That's not, that's not Romans chapter 6. In the context of Romans 6, it is humbly helping that other person get away from sin. It's about helping them get out of sin. So whenever he says bear one another's burdens, he's talking about bearing one another's sin. Paul goes on there to say in chapter 6, you can look it up later, he tells them that if you think that you are too important to help someone out of their sin, you are fooling yourself because you are not that important. If you're the Pharisee standing there with a stone in your hand saying, by the law of Moses, this person needs to be condemned and I'm going to throw the first stone, just know that you are doing Christianity totally wrong and you don't understand faith, you don't understand grace. We come to one another to offer grace, to build one another up, to help others towards God's righteousness. If the Son of God has time to bear the sins of other sinners, so do you. Paul is quoting here from uh, Psalm chapter 69, verse 9, where he says, The insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. This is, this is the principle of divine grace. This is the principle of divine grace. This isn't a rule that we apply when it's conven convenient. This is the, the principle of divine grace. This is the foundation of how you and I come to Christ. So we'll say we've received grace from God for our sins. He bore our sins. 
And we are all happy about that. But then whenever other people sin, it's a principle that defines our life, not just our relationship with God, but also our relationship with other people. So when other people sin against us, when other people in, who are believers sin in the family, in the body of Christ, do we break out our Old Testament scroll and start beating them over the head and threaten to stone them? No. The principle is divine graced. Divine, divine graced. Because it's past tense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with that. Insults that did not belong to Jesus, he bore. Insults that may not belong to us, we bear. Put yourself in the position of the weaker believer. I know for some of you that's really hard, huh? <laughs> uh, put yourself, use your imagination for a second. Put yourself in the position of the weaker believer. You come to faith, you're new to this. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not being arrogant, just being factual. I was born into Christianity, and so... Um, Christian living in church, just I, I often, sometimes I do not relate with people who are new to Christianity. So I take for granted that they don't know all the things that I just grew up with, okay? So it's, sometimes it's hard for me to put myself in their shoes. I'm being honest, okay? So, so they come to faith. They're new to all of this. All of this is new to them. You don't understand. So, so you, you're new to faith. You don't understand all that there is to know about righteous living, but you're trying, and you don't really know why there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and you don't really know why Brent's making a joke out of the book of maps, and so you're just trying to keep up, but you're trying to understand what there is to know about righteous living. You're trying. You want to learn. You want to learn, but you fail. Maybe, maybe you fail really bad. I mean, whether or not you're new to Christianity, whether or not you're born into Christianity, sometimes we try really hard, and we fail? I say we is in all of y'all. That's, that's everybody. All y'all, y- y'all is everyone. All y'all is everyone, everyone in Texan. So you come to church and you know you're not doing it exactly like the people around you. It's like they know the words to the songs. They know when to stand. They know when to sit. They know that whenever they serve communion, they don't intend for you to take it right then tell you the story about the guy that was new before service. He was back there with his kids shooting the communion and eating the crackers. He didn't know. It's fine. It's fine. We refill it. It's no big deal. But then someone a little further down the road comes along and says, hey, let me help you. Let me walk with you. Let's do this together. Let me show you a better way. And they invest their maturity in you, and you are better for it. Paul says, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Most of us do not have to imagine the hope and encouragement that comes from someone else helping us along and building us up in our walk with the Lord. There's a good chance that several people have invested in your spiritual growth. All of us believers are waiting patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So we may as well build each other up as opposed to being frustrated with each other. 
that make sense? We've got time together. So we might as well help one another, encourage one another, walk with one another, as opposed to the Pharisees that just want to throw a stone. We can say, hey, walk with me. We'll walk together. We may fail together, but we're going to succeed more together. That's pretty incredible. My wife, I'm at the end. My wife always has gum in her purse. It's a simple illustration. Don't get caught up on the illustration. Keep the principle in mind, okay? So my wife always has gum in her purse. And uh, if you're around here at lunch, you know that typically we all hop in a car and we all go eat together as whoever's here uh, because I like to eat together. So after lunch, we all jump in the car. We're on our way back. And Diane will offer everybody in the car a piece of gum. She can either be frustrated that Thomas has garlic breath, <clears throat> stick to the principle, or she can offer him some gum and then everybody's happy, happy, happy. Do you see how that works? I mean, you can sit in the pastor's wife's chair and his passport, her passport, and say, ah, your breath stinks. Or you can offer a piece of gum. It's really, it's really, really that simple. Well, you're not doing Christianity right. Who cares? How about, hey, come over to my house. We'll do soap together. Let's go to coffee. I'll buy coffee. I'll show you how the plan works. We'll do this together. We'll read scripture together. Oh, we'll pray together. We'll grow together. This is going to be fun as opposed to, as opposed to condemning. It really is that simple in the body of Christ. It really is that simple in the body of Christ. But he's speaking to the mature people. So if you're not a mature believer, then, then the onus is not on you to build other believers up. You can continue to throw temper tantrums about whatever it is. <laughs> Instead of being offended and, offend, and offering condemnation... Be considerate and build other believers up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bear their burdens as your own. Offer hope and encouragement instead of condemnation and guilt. There is no condemnation, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, there is a supernatural amount of consideration. 